the, the deepness of heart, of scripture, of spirit uh, actually drives us, compels us uh, to show up in the world in a way uh, that transforms our social realities uh, so that more people uh, are able to claim their identity, their blessedness, and living that abundant life in material ways. My name is Jonah. I'm a pastor, activist, community organizer, and follower of Jesus. I love the Bible, but I've been told it doesn't love me back. Enter the peacock. An ancient symbol of abundance, the peacock is more than beautiful. It serves as a guard animal around the world because it eats poisonous spiders and snakes. How does it survive? Peacocks can break down poison, get to the good stuff, and emerge fed and strengthened. Some say this is how the peacock gets its beautiful iridescent feathers. Join me and my guests as we read the Bible in the spirit of the peacock. Re-encounter nourishing scriptures that have been poisoned by hate and ignorance. Break down toxic theology and get to the good stuff. Emerge fed and strengthened with a beautiful, iridescent faith. Welcome to Jonah and the Peacock, a podcast about poison, healing, and the Bible. Hello, everyone. This is Jonah P. Overton, welcoming you to today's episode, a conversation with the Reverend Dr. Jay Williams. Jay is pastor of Union Church in Boston, a historically black congregation in the United Methodist Church, the first uh, actually to be reconciling, which is the United Methodist Church's language for queer affirmation in the local congregational context. Um, Jay and I have uh, been laboring together with the Liberation Project doing work uh, for years now to advocate for the inclusion of queer folks in the full life and leadership of the church um, at a denominational level. And I have had such uh, an incredible time um, just learning from him, hearing his take on things. He's got a really... um, honestly just unique ability to to mine the scriptures for truth to connect dots with um, a breadth of historical uh, thinkers and and really just weave together a perspective that's uh, that's been profoundly impactful in my life and so it was really lovely to have him on the on the um, podcast today to talk about his journey and and what that means for his relationship to scripture, which he has such an intimate knowledge of. And so I got to learn, you know, how that how that began for him and how that has gone for him as a uh, queer identified black clergyman. And uh, you know, he has a, a different story, I think, than some of the other folks featured so far on the pod. And one of the things he articulates um, most movingly, I think, is is the way that the the affirmation that he actually did receive from his family, from his friends, and from his congregation, not only gave him the support, but also a, a burden of responsibility that he now feels to advocate in a way that he knows that other folks who have had more toxic environments are unable to do so. You know, he talks about how to whom much is given, much is required. And so with the centrality of scripture in his own life and um, the burden of responsibility that comes with a community that actually does have his back in a meaningful way, he's been able to forge a hope for a new future in which generations 
generations uh, to come can all have that kind of support and therefore can can really go deep with scripture, can wrestle with it seriously, um, can move beyond a superficial understanding of, of God's love for us into a complex and deep um, abiding uh, relationship to God's love for us. So I, I'm so excited for the ways that, that Jay weaves scripture through this whole conversation. And I hope that, uh, that you come away um, just feeling a little bit closer to that collection of works uh, that, that speaks to us about who God is. You've gone on a very public identity journey just in the last few years, right? Yeah, Hotness Express. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hardly. I mean, you had a sermon that just like blew all the way up, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, so like it's this, um, yeah, like my my journey at Union and then kind of like journey in faith through seminary and all this stuff has been, you know, this, I mean, in many ways, like wrestling with what do I do with the scriptures that have been like embedded in my heart, uh, kind of growing up in this historically black church uh, in Buffalo, New York. Um, and then now coming to like this, being appointed as a pastor to this black church that is, you know, first uh, historically black church to become reconciling in the year 2000. I then, um, you know, I'm starting to be asked by members to officiate their weddings. Um, I'm not out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so there's this like really weird tug of like, how do we practice what you preach and be who you yeah. are in a public way? Um, yeah. So I did this sermon, uh, my coming out sermon to Union um, in 2016. It was during uh, the general conference meeting. Um, and it was also Pentecost Sunday. Uh, cause I found myself like in this place where I felt I could not breathe, mm. um, and, fe- and got called, um, as I was preparing my Pentecost sermon, uh, kind of called or like inspired by God, inspired, breathed by God to like yeah. turn to like this feeling of suffocation, uh, this feeling of breathlessness, and uh, uh, the title Waiting to Exhale based on Terry McMillan's mm. uh, novel turned uh, movie was the, the, the title that was given to me. Um, and so I riffed on that, played with that a bit um, uh, and, uh, you know, took my breath and it kind of uh, it was, you know, super dramatic sermon. It was just like, you know, I've always felt a little bit different, a little bit weird, a little bit off, a little bit queer. And, you know, kind of now uh, I, I take my breath, I come out. And what was the most wonderful thing about this experience was like when uh, the lay leader who a uh, black woman elder in the church, you know, in her I think late 60s at the time, maybe early 70s, like just as I'm standing there pretty vulnerable and bare uh, and not knowing how people are going to respond. Uh, she stood up, walked down the middle, the center aisle uh, and embraced me and uh, we wept uh, and the congregation joined me. Uh, as well, which was like this moment of like integration and harmony, because like the, the way we describe like our tradition at Union, like historically black church uh, uh, founded um, 
in uh, like 1796 in the midst of the abolition movement. Uh, so actually our first pastor was a former enslaved African turned abolitionist. Wow. Um, right. Um, and like, and, and, and David Walker, who wrote this wonderful uh, treatise, it was called The Appeals to All the Colored Citizens of the World. He was a member of our congregation, right? Um, so, 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 like our becoming reconciling in 2000 is definitely was like the culmination or like a, a, a turning point in this long, uh, you know, centuries, two centuries long struggle uh, of being a, a community that affirms the fullness of one's belovedness, and at the same time, right, being deeply rooted in the Black Church tradition where like scripture is important. So we describe that union, which is definitely uh, like a reflection of who I am and uh, the way I identify myself as like, our, the, the, our DNA is, is formed of like this double helix of like biblical faith and social justice, which we weave together um, in the like most organic of ways. So when the lay leader Ruby uh, came down the aisle and, and, and welcomed me in, um, you know, drew me in. It was in many ways just practicing, you know, God is love, uh, 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 and um, in a very embodied way. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, how how has that really rich tradition at Union um, shaped what it means to be reconciling in that community versus you know some other ones that you may have encountered? Yeah, like, I mean, it's definitely, um, I mean, what it means for us is like, so often, and like, I'm in New England, um, there is definitely, and, and, and I'm talking about like across many traditions, not just United Methodist, like New England, there's this um, way in which uh, faith, Christian faith is like super liberal, uh, and often the ways to like reconcile a welcome, right? two of like queer people uh, or like women in positions of leadership or um, a, a, a certain uh, transgression of traditional conservative evangelical Christianity, the way that like liberalism in my context tends to respond is by um, erasing or, or finding distance mm. from scripture. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so there's not um, a certain among like many congregations, a, a turn to the text uh, in a deep way uh, where you're wrestling with and these scriptures. It's 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 kind of more like um, in, in some ways, I'll say like a, a, a cherry picking or a mm -hmm. uh, inversion of a certain uh you know, conservative evangelical read where you pick, you know, these clobber texts uh, yeah. and then like lay in on it. Well, often in like liberalism, we turn the other way and pick out like the good stuff, but don't actually wrestle with the whole text as um, this living tradition um, that we don't get to discard, uh, but that you have to engage deeply. So union, um, we, uh, which is very consonant with like my own uh, journey, um, is is like scripture is primary, yeah. right? Uh, and it's not something that you can avoid, uh, but actually it's something you need to lean into um, even more. So I, I appreciate like like Bible study in addition to like Sunday morning worship, right? Reading the text, like Bible study is indispensable um, to what it means to be part of our community. 
and 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 that gives more texture to the text. That's really beautiful. I I think a lot of people are longing for that, but don't even think it's possible. Yeah. Do you say that you per, you really personally resonate with the the importance and centrality of scripture? Can you tell me a little bit more about that and like how that came to be in your life? Totally. I mean, like, so I grew up uh, in Buffalo, New York. Um, um, lived in like a like our nuclear family and and, and extended family was pretty close. Um, so grew up. Uh, up the street from my great grandmother, you know, mm-hmm. God rest her soul, uh, who was like my uh, first inspiration. Um, and I would watch her. She was a leader in the United Methodist Women's Community uh, mm-hmm. in in Buffalo. Yeah, and like she would be like, uh, she had these high heeled shoes. Uh, she had a briefcase, and on Saturday she would like be going to church dressed up uh, yeah. for like women's fellowship meeting, right? Uh, and the same thing on on Sunday morning. She was first seat soprano uh, in at Metropolitan United Methodist Church, uh, this little round church that was built, I think, in 1979. So just a couple years before I was born. Uh, in Buffalo, New York, east side of Buffalo, in the hood, in the ghetto, right uh, off the 33 Expressway, 657 Best Street, and uh, the corner of Herman. And I kind of, I, I intentionally locate myself and like naming these these landmarks in Buffalo because like Metropolitan is where like I first like located this longing in my heart. Um, and 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 begun to like understand myself as a beloved of God, uh, a, a leader in the church. So like I became an, so I saw my great grandmother go to church before I get too fast. Right, I saw my great grandmother go to church. Asked her if I could go with her, um, and she said, "Of course." Uh, so I was four years old, fourth birthday, uh, Easter Sunday, um, also my birthday, April seventh, nineteen eighty-five. Went to church with Granny and have been going ever since. Wow. Uh, was an acolyte, you know, an altar boy, and went to, um, you know, was an usher, sang in the choir, and like went to like church camp, Bible camp, um, summer camp, uh, where, you know, uh, Miss uh, Williamson, uh, who was one of the leaders of uh, the, the vacation Bible school and things, right? You learned, you, you memorized scripture, right? Yep. So, like, I learned. Psalm 23, early age, right? In the King James Version, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, leadeth me to such. So there was a, a way in which from the beginning with the primacy of text in Sunday morning worship, Bible study on Wednesday, uh, vacation Bible school, um, that this congregation, Metropolitan, uh, was living out the scriptures that it might be written upon the tablets of our heart. Um, And there was a a way of inviting us into that memorization. So like when I finally did come out, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, When I came out, uh, it was during seminary, I was 25, uh, you know, I had had my first uh, boyfriend at this point. And um, uh, I come home like in tears on my sister's birthday and tell my parents, you know, that I'm gay or queer. Um, they say, they're like, we can find another church or we can find another tradition um, or we can do something else. And, uh, you know, I, my immediate response is like, I love y'all for loving me and yeah. like the church that has loved me into freedom. Uh, like I can't actually uh, I can't remove that. It's part of like my identity church, uh, this church that taught me 
how to approach the text and read the Bible. Um, so let's struggle with it a little bit more. Um, so yeah, this 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 community in um, my childhood home of Buffalo uh, started this journey with scripture where like now I am unwilling to surrender it to anyone who wants to claim uh, that they have a lock or you know their interpretation is the only and right interpretation. It's like, no, this is my tradition. Uh, this is my Bible as well. And I read it every day. I preach from it every week uh, and it lives inside of me uh, in a living way. That's beautiful. And, you know, it's so interesting because I think that there are there are so many people who need their families of origin to have that kind of solidarity to say we're willing to leave the church. And I wonder if that's part of, you know, your your family, your system's willingness to have your back in that way is part of what um, kind of is necessary in order to then say, actually, no, no, let's let's stay. Um, right. Do you think that? Um, right. You know, how, like how did, what kind of support did you need in order to kind of maintain this connection with, with your source of scripture and faith and strength, but also this source of harm? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, attribute, um, like my coming into life, uh, and freedom in the church, uh, being able to take a deep breath. I don't know what would have happened, uh, had I come out. Um, and like this congregation that I loved and knew loved me, um, but still was very fair, fearful of the rejection of them, of my parents. Um, like I, I, um, um, right. I, I, I can't imagine, uh, the alternative, uh, yeah. and, and that's where it's like, I, I feel the burden then that I have this haven, uh, both in family and, a church where um, I've been loved into freedom uh, in a community that that says yes uh, to who I am in the fullness and not a, in spite of who I am, like the fullness of who I am, that, that, that there's, because I've been privileged with a community that does not, you know, the, the experience of, of, of queer folks uh, isn't always that affirming. Yeah, in certainly. these communities. Right. So, so I use that then as a, a mode of, of, like the location from which a public theology, uh, a ministry of welcome, of love and liberation uh, as the grounding in this community, because right to whom much is given, much is required, as uh, the scriptures say. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. yeah. And how I mean, I think the other dynamic that happens a lot is that any place that um, that has to bring queerness and scripture into conversation usually picks one over the other. So mm -hmm. what, you know. Right. How has all of that, not just your queerness, but your your blackness, mm -hmm. your placement yeah. location in this historically black congregation, you're growing up in Buffalo, like how has all of that shaped how you read scripture, particularly as you, Jay Williams? Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I, I my union is located at an intersection, uh, like uh like on the corner, um, but also like the intersection of like a twice, maybe three times over gentrified neighborhood that used to be predominantly black, uh, now is predominantly white, um, and, you know, and like very expensive. And so I'm talking about like 
kind of those brownstones going from uh, like a million and a half to like 10. Uh, like, yeah, right. So so a very rich neighborhood that's next to um, one that is not so wealthy. Uh, so growing up in Buffalo, like this church on the intersections. So, so this is all to say, like I experience, like we are all like uh, a, each and every person is this, a really wonderful blend of multiple identities that like that constitute um, um, like the, the self. In other words, like, you know, Jay as black, uh, you know, originally poor, kind of now working class, middle class, uh, black man, um, uh, queer man, churchman, like I am, uh, I, I, I'm an intersection of many traditions, many people, many stories that make me. So that's how I like to read the Bible. Um, if the Bible is actually, right, not a single book, and that's where, like we say, the Bible, which it's kind of deceptive and like distortive of, as if it's not, you know, like 66 books, um, right, that have been penned and inspired over hundreds of years. So it's like the, it's the intersection of many peoples, many languages, many cultures over hundreds of years. So to read the Bible is to take seriously that, that many voices, uh, many stories shape the text many voices, many stories shape who we are. Uh, so uh, it only stands to reason. It only makes sense to then to read the Bible with an intersectional lens, uh, to read the Bible in a way that, that, that actually makes sure that when you are looking at the text, the written word, uh, you are interrogating, you're looking at the context uh, as to why uh, certain things are written uh, the way they are, who is Jesus speaking to, right? Uh, why is the law being, you know, offered in this way? It, like, what's happening, right, with the people of uh, the Israelites in the Exodus, uh, so where you get the commandments um, and the, the need to uh, bind the community together in a way uh, that that allows them to be resilient and to hold on when they are in the midst of, you know, exceeding trauma that they've experienced, generational trauma, and then still a very vulnerable community. So being able to, like, think about that in the context of, uh, think of the, about the text in the context of uh, what happened around it helps us to I think interpret the, the scriptures accurately and to be able to see ourselves in it um, and to see the text as something that's speaking to us um, and, and helping us to wrestle with um, right who we are. I think one thing I would say, um, like Earl Parker, who was one of my Sunday school teachers in uh, Buffalo at Metropolitan, right, he always, whenever he would read scripture, uh, on Sunday morning or in Sunday school, he says, you know, uh, beloved of God, brothers and sisters, children, like take out your Bible, uh, which is your roadmap, take out your roadmap, right? Which is to say that we're on a journey. Uh, we're on a journey of self-discovery, uh, a journey of, of finding our place. And yeah, the Bible doesn't, um, uh, doesn't necessarily give us every single turn we have to take. Uh, but I, I do believe 
that you know, John Wesley says that it has everything that is necessary for salvation. Um, and that if we allow ourselves uh, to wrestle with it and to wrestle with the text, the context around us, then we might be able to get to where we need to go. Yeah. I, you know, I actually really love that image. And I, I, I have always been really resistant to a lot of the metaphors people use for the Bible because mm -hmm. so many of them I think are actually really misleading. But I think one of yeah. the one of the distinctions here is that, you know, at this point, a lot of us are used to turn by turn navigation. Yeah. You totally. know, <laughs> and like the Bible is not ways. Um not at all. Is, you know, <laughs> but it, but if you think of it more like, you know, old school, those like paper Mm -hmm. the maps that you'd have like the like Atlas, under the sea. Right? Like, yeah. Exactly. And you're, you're like, where are we? You know, and you unfold it and it yes. crinkles and, um, and, and you've got to search to find where you are. And then you see all the mm -hmm. things that are happening around you that, you know, that actually does feel like scripture to me. It's, it's about orienting oneself, but it's not, it's not directions. It is, exactly. it's the context of creation. Um, and yep. the, the learned, um, you know, whatever, whatever information, whatever feeling, whatever artistry, even because that goes into map making, mm -hmm. right? That that generations before us have been able to compile so that we can find ourselves in the of this universe. You know, you yeah. So Bible, about, right? Yeah, is it? Yeah, Bible isn't ways or Google Maps, right? But right? like, yeah, I think I like it as more as a like because when you have an atlas or like you still have to like you still might need a compass you still might yeah. need, you know you need things you need you other might need tools to ask for directions right you need to ask for direction right because like the detour uh that just happened right or the roadblock isn't going to be in the atlas right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so you actually do it, it gives you like the destination right and yeah. i think that's where the you know the bible ultimately is this text of like freedom that is that is inviting us into abundant life um, right. So when it, that's how I read, you know, the, the, the scriptures uh, from Genesis to Revelation as this image, this vision of, of right, new heavens and new earth of a, an abundance that get folded in on this earth. But in order to to deploy the map, the atlas, you do still need to ask for directions, you know, talk to other people mm -hmm. uh, because it's a community of faith. And that's where it's like, yeah, church. Um, uh, you know, church is not um, simply staying at home or doing personal Bible study, right? And we've all done, you know, bedside Baptist or whatever. We get it. Like, I do that too. But ultimately, we the, the scriptures come alive in the context of a community of wrestlers, of liberators, of people who take it seriously and want to uh, live with it. Well, and I, you keep using the term wrestle, and I, I really love that. And I think that that's something that a lot of folks can resonate with. Have you wrestled differently? Like, has that a been, has that been a friendlier or more contentious uh, wrestling match at different points in your life? Uh, yes, right. And like, I when you know when you John, when you like lift up right wrestling, of course, I go to like this. Um, you know, Jacob is like wrestling with God uh, and, uh, you know, Old Testament scripture, Jacob wrestling with God. And after the wrestle, like Jacob, like has a limp. Right. He's so there up. is. Yeah, he's messed up. Right. So, right. Yeah. The wrestling match, um, uh, you know, does leave its mark um, like on our bodies. Um, actually. So yeah, the, the wrestle, yeah, and I appreciate this question, right? Because there's a way in which now like in, like looking at this in the journey in reverse where 
it can almost become like over romanticized where like I, and let me like where I over romanticize, like I'm at this great church. I'm like, I'm at this great place and, mm. and everything is working. And like, there were many times, um, not so long ago where I was just like, what, um, like, I don't know if I can make it, um, actually my journey into, um, like, so I, I got my doctorate, um, in, in theology, uh, in part because I love uh, like scholarship and study. Um, and I feel called to, uh, to be a public theologian as a pastor and a, as an academician. But if I'm completely honest, right, I also pursued the PhD because I had the fear of being, if I made it through the ordination process, uh, I would be defrocked. Um, and did not want to be in a vulnerable place where my livelihood was completely contingent on a denomination uh, that, you know, uh, is still in the United Methodist Church, right, where the denomination um, is still overwhelmingly like right of center uh, when it comes down to uh, like uh, interpreting the placement of queer people in leadership. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is, yeah, the struggle has been a painful one um, in that, you know, I, uh, I look at some of the, you know, my members and young people now and, and give thanks that there's a freedom to explore uh, gender and sexuality and all these identities, like at a much younger age. Um, and, you know, like I didn't come out till I was 25 to my family and friends and then not to uh, more publicly until, uh, you know, until uh, I was 35. So I've actually only been out um, as an uh, integrated full self for like in, in, in a professional world in the last, last five years. Um, and a, a quick aside, like, because um, one of the, 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 the points that this struggle, um, you know, it does bring some sadness. I was watching This Is Us a couple weeks ago and like there was a scene where like one of the young people was going to visit uh, uh, Deja was going to visit her, her her boyfriend in Boston and I live in Boston right and uh, and so she's sitting next to this elder on the bus uh, black woman uh, so black woman uh, young woman on the bus talking like on this journey and uh, Deja is going to you know see her boyfriend and the older woman is just like um, wow, there's nothing like young love um, and how beautiful and pure or innocent or whatever it is, right? Um, unbridled by the world's uh, cynicism, maybe. Uh, and so I had this moment of like lament, uh, which I think is a reflect that, yeah, I missed out on that type of like young love um, and, and just young exploration, which I then celebrate that I get to see in other people um, and that, yeah, that that the struggle has not been for nothing. Like Frederick Douglass talks about uh, there's no progress without struggle. Uh, so to be able to see myself in this continuity of like, yes, I am because of the people who've come before me um, and elders in my congregation who, uh, you know, had and once that I did their wedding, that I had to that that they were you know two black men I have in my uh, got married in uh, their sixties. Um, and did not know because they being able to be married in a church by their pastor was foreclosed for them. Yeah. Right. So there's a scripture or a song that we sing um, in the black church, you know, like every round goes higher and higher. 
so we continue. The struggle does yield some change and some progress. Uh, and um, and uh, I give thanks that the work that we're doing now and being able to uh, open up the scriptures differently uh, and give people the tools not to discard, but to deeply engage the scriptures and reconcile their own identities within them uh, might then allow them to raise you know, children uh, who take the text seriously, uh, that they in their jobs uh, might be able to show up more fully, uh, not embarrassed by a certain brand of Christianity that says one thing and then uh, does something entirely different, you know, says God is love and then uh, spews all types of, you know, hate against the other. Uh, so it's not simply about, right, because I think your question is broadly about like identity. Uh, in our Bible studies at Union, there's this, um, we've got elders and young people, we've got, you know, straight and queer people who are all in this process of trying to say, well, yeah, if God uh, loves us into life, then why is the Bible that I learned just so oppressive? Like you couldn't dance, right? There's certain yeah. things that you had to wear in order to be faithful. Uh, so as people come into being, uh, then start rejecting church and Bible because it's like, I just want to like enjoy myself. Yeah. Why is that incompatible with Christian teaching a certain, um, right? Being able to go out or, you know, God forbid, have a cocktail or, you know, do things that, that your peers are doing. Um, like, does that stand in life in, in the way of life? So that's where I think, my feel my calling the calling of union and you know being a comrade with you and others and like this liberation project is to say yes um we actually can have it all we can have uh, a relationship to faith we can be right uh we have a relationship to the church we can have our bibles and our texts and we can be in a communities that um, we get to celebrate and live life freely and flourishing and abundantly yeah yeah, well, and, and that that joy is holy, that connection is holy, that community is holy. That's part of the life that we're promised yeah. in the kingdom. Absolutely. Um, and and the fact that we've been robbed of that, um, that so many people have been robbed of that in so many ways for generations mm -hmm. is part of the sin of, of the world that needs healing. Yes. Um, and, and the Bible has been recruited into that project. Like the Bible has been been recruited by by all sides, right? Yeah, the, the sides yeah. of wounding and the sides of healing. Some of the feedback that I've gotten from folks listening to to earlier episodes um, that have already been released is like, oh, I want to read the Bible like that, like like that person does. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know how. Um, so if you had, you know, any advice to give to folks and, and we'll, we'll get into a little Bible study here in a moment, yeah. but if you had any advice for folks who are trying to find that healing understanding of scripture, who are trying to, to find that freedom, not only in the God that loves them and their experience of God's love, but also in the text itself, you know, yeah. do you, do you have any advice? Yeah. Um, Definitely, because it's such a great, great question. Um, if there's like all of these uh, hundreds of pages written over hundreds of years that have been 
right, mobilize uh, uh, to do harm and healing. Um, like it's a pretty, you know, mystifying, confusing text. So like, where, yeah, where do I begin? Where's the anchor? Uh, and it kind of reminds me of like one of the things uh, so growing up in this church um, in, at Metropolitan, we had an interim pastor on two occasions, uh, Reverend uh, Vernon Bigler, um, and I was one of uh, the acolytes during his ministry and black church, uh, white uh, retired pastor uh, who was appointed interim. Uh, and I, I just give thanks for him. Um, because uh, he gave me, he confirmed, like he confirmed me. Uh, so led me through the confirmation class where I was baptized as an infant, uh, but claim the faith as my own after confirmation class um, uh, with uh, Vernon Bigler, Reverend Bigler, uh, God rest his soul, um, gave me, uh, you know, a, a red Bible, red letter Bible, actually. It was red on the cover and red letter, the words of Jesus, and, and said, uh, read the Beatitudes and commit them uh, to your heart. So the, like, where do you begin? Start with Jesus. Start with his Sermon on the Mount, uh, where the Beatitudes, right, the blessedness um, is found. Um, and in this Sermon on the Mount, where like Jesus is teaching uh, and, and about all things around money, about relationships, uh, but ultimately about um, a, a blessedness is where I would invite everyone uh, to begin, you know, and, and it's in Matthew, uh, particularly like Matthew chapter five. Uh, so start with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and, and use that as the key uh, to unlock and interpret all of the other scriptures uh, in a way that then um, will, like, I, I think, create some curiosity uh, if you begin with the Sermon on the Mount and then be able to like then say, what are the other scriptures that speak to these themes? And it, it, alter, it, it, it unlocks a, uh, I think, a dialogue with the text itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so key because, you know, there's there's something that we talk about in in seminary studies, biblical studies, and it's called hermeneutics. Yeah. And your hermeneutic is basically the, the set of choices you make about how mm -hmm. to read and interpret. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned at the top, the, the habit of um, contemporary liberal churches, um, especially in your experience in New England of cherry picking or, you know, actually, so Sarah Gerard was uh, mm -hmm. on the episode uh, on a few episodes nice. back and, and uh, I believe her summary of that experience was too long. Didn't read Jesus loves me, uh, <laughs> but you know, but there is this kind of looking away from the text or kind of pretending about what is and isn't there. Yes. But, but the, there's a falsehood as well to pretending that all of the text can be weighted equally because, mm -hmm. you know, that's not, there's so much. And right. not all of it really hangs together unless you make certain choices. That's right. We see in, in the scriptures, Jesus making those choices about what to prioritize, what, which parts Correct. of the law to emphasize and to lean into and to use then to interpret everything else. Um, and so, so it only makes sense that we as followers of Jesus have to make similar choices. Correct. So, and so you're saying for you, the Beatitudes then are that central lens, that anchor that you come back to. to Absolutely. 
Right. And then, yeah. And, and, and one of the ways we talk about it, like, yeah, when you talk about hermeneutics, right, this hermeneutical circle, like what are like, who are the, the people in the conversation, you know, the circular conversation that you relate to, that you hold hands with. Um, right. So I would say then there's a, a cons- there's like concentric circles. Um, that like, if I start with the Beatitudes, then going out to the Gospels, right? And then the Gospels after the Gospels, New Testament, um, where now Paul comes in. I'm not going to start, right, my understanding of Christianity uh, with an interpreter of Jesus. Actually, let's start with Jesus um, and then get to some of the interpretations. Uh, And then we get to, um, right, uh, in addition to, so like Gospel stories about Jesus, uh, good news. And then we start getting some um, some letters that are being written by, you know, Paul um, and some of the other first followers of Jesus uh, to other communities. Uh, so, you know, Peter and, and Hebrews and some others. And then we get to like Old Testament and um, and, and some of the historical narratives uh, where we also find like some of the clobber passages that speak to like uh, uh, women's roles uh, in in the church or or the abomination of of, of gayness um, or in, in more accurately right a, a certain uh, erotic practice uh, is what uh, you know historically being situated so being able to then interpret histories uh, and letters in light of um, uh, what Christopher Morris describes as like the lifespan of Jesus, yeah. right? Incarnation, ministry, incarnation, birth, ministry, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So these starting anchoring oneself in the story of Jesus, right? Christ is the root of Christian, uh, and then let everything else uh, interpret on what Jesus was doing, and right. Actually, uh, Jesus, he begins, right, his public ministry um, by, and it's in Luke, you know, chapter four, which is also one of my favorite scriptures, uh, where he declares, you know, something uh, that the spirit of the Lord is upon him uh, to preach good news uh, to the oppressed, uh, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to those who are yearning to see the new thing that God is doing and to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Um, so Jesus is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry is this call to liberation. Um, so if we read, start reading, if we start with Jesus and start with Jesus' ministry, uh, then uh, we actually see the focus that Jesus had uh, in being relational, proximate to those who were marginalized and othered. And then that gives us a uh, pathway, right? It gives us the direction that we need to be going. Yeah, beautiful. Um, well, let's let's do a little bit of that. Can you um, you know help orient us to the to the beatitudes, which have been such a important part of that center ring for you? Yeah. Um, right. So beatitudes, um, it, it, it basically, it means blessedness. Right. Um, and, um, so, you know, Reverend Bigler invited me to, uh, to commit them to memory, 
And so every morning as I do my Bible study, as part of that practicing of centering, I recall, I, I recite uh, the Beatitudes uh, to uh, myself, uh, to my heart, right? Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, say, uh, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Uh, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, uh, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people utter all type of false things against you in my name, rejoice and be glad uh, for great is your reward in heaven. <sighs> so like, there's just something about uh, reading, um, reciting uh, these words of Jesus uh, when he is gathered with people on the side of a mountain and he offers them uh, this reminder uh, that regardless to what you are going through, uh, you are blessed. Um, if you're struggling, if you're broken in spirit, uh, if you need comforting, uh, if, um, right, if you are slandered, spoken against, um, like there is a drawing in and a reminder um, of like, who you are and whose you are, and ultimately that your primary identity is one of being blessed. And of course, you know, there's, there's uh, many who have, have riffed off of the Beatitudes and make them into like living sermons. Uh, you know, uh, Nettie Bolts Weber uh, being one, you know, really made prominent uh, a, a, a Beatitudes for the, uh, the modern day. Uh, so yeah, that's the, so the Sermon of the Mount, uh, this reminder to uh, be blessed and to claim the blessedness and then to kind of pass it on uh, to others is, it's kind of where I begin. Yeah. And so, so given everything about your, your own story, your own identity, what do those Beatitudes mean personally? And has that changed at all since you memorized them, you were invited to memorize them? Yeah, um, I mean, they mean, yeah, it definitely changed um, in that, like, as I've, you know, gone through challenges in my ministry, uh, in work, um, right, where, you know, not everybody loves what you're doing, um, uh, right, so, you know, uh, blessed are you even when people uh, speak ill of you. Yeah. Uh, blessed are you when, um, right, you are like actually really weak, um, mm. right? So because comfort uh, means to make strong. Mm. Um, um, uh, so, you know, uh, blessed are those who uh, need uh, to be comfort. Uh, comforted. And when, you know, I, I, sometimes I haven't always had my voice uh, to speak boldly. Um, and Bell Hooks talks about, um, right, this journey of coming to voice. Um, so like in those moments of meekness, um, of, of not being able to know what to say or speaking sometimes uh, when the voice is trembling, uh, this this reminder um, 
that uh, yeah, that that meekness um, and weakness, right, are are more than okay, yeah. um, and that they are giftedness as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I'm curious what your interpretation is of of the idea of beatitude or blessing. Like, what does it mean to be blessed? I hear you using the word gift, um, and and I like that, and where where that's kind of drawing um, the spirit in. But what does it mean to be blessed by God in those experiences? Yeah, um, I think at the core, uh, to be blessed by God um, is to Right, is to be grounded in something uh, mm. where one um, is able to claim one's identity. Um, right, um, right. So it's less about like blessing as like monetary, sure. right, or or like a, a certain materiality, um, but blessing, blessedness um, is a affirmation like it's a mirroring of like it's like so when jesus says blessed are you right it's this uh invitation to like reflect on you know like the image of god that dwells within us um right so it's ultimately a a spiritual um recognition identity um that says yeah uh because i am created in the image of right the giver of blessings, uh, then I too might experience uh, that joy and that life. Mm. Uh, and then right, bless we, we we say we're blessed to be a blessing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, out of the claiming of my giftedness, my inherent love. Uh, my um, capacity, the potential uh, to live the life of abundant, then I am called out of that to be a blessing unto others, uh, to be able to proclaim, right, and to affirm uh, that uh, you too are uh, caught up in, right, the kingdom of God. You're part of the family. Uh, so, right, that's why, so when the Beatitude says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom, right, of heaven. Like it begins and ends with that, which is a reminder that you are kin, you are family, uh, and you are you are a part of, you are a constituent of something that is bigger than you, uh, that is, right, familial and deep. Uh, but it's also like ancient and and rooted in this story. Uh, one of the like lines that I use at Union is in preaching is like that, that when I talk about spirit is that there's something inside of you that is part of you that is more than you and it's the spirit of God mm. working within you. Um, so it's like it's mine and bigger than me. Uh, it is it runs deep uh, and it animates uh, me and, and it animates us into life. And the spiritual connection uh, to friend, uh, to neighbor, even to foe, right, says that um, we don't get to uh, merely, right, that, that there's something coursing through our veins, right? There's something coursing through our souls that is shared. Uh, so I don't get to rupture that uh, in a way uh, that 
you know, draws a hierarchy or a superiority, mm. uh, but that at the core, right? Um, at the core, we share something. And, you know, one of my, uh, and I've kind of been drawn to that, that um, engagement of both like the spiritual and the social through like Howard Thurman, uh, who, right, uh, Meditation of the Heart and Disciplines of Spirit are two of his texts, but he had this very, he was known as like a mystic, right? In that he, he, he pondered these deep things. But like what I don't want to get lost is that, right, it, it, the, the deepness of heart, of scripture, of spirit uh, actually drives us, compels us uh, to show up in the world in a way uh, that transforms our social realities uh, so that more people uh, are able to claim their identity, their blessedness in living that abundant life in material ways. Uh, so it's not this separate, this mere separation between, you know, like just pray, pray, pray over here and suffer through whatever right. you, 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 you have over here. No, there's actually an integration of head and heart and mind and body uh, such that, and that's what Jesus is talking about, right? And when you continue to read, right, uh, the ways in which Jesus is in ministry on the mountains, uh, right, and he's feeding the 5,000 and it's like, yeah, you can't attend to someone's spiritual needs if you don't actually meet their material needs as well. So there's an integration of all these things uh, that, that for me kind of begins the linchpin is a reading of Beatitudes. Yeah, well, and I, and I see how when you begin with the text that way, when you begin with the Beatitudes and interpret blessing in that way that that kind of has all of these um, beautiful cascading consequences for our our call to one another and to the to the hope of creation that then you can see from the beginning that destination that you were talking about yeah. earlier which is yes. liberation which is freedom which is not heaven as a spiritual other and something that you know beyond life that has nothing to do with now but in fact the heavens that come to earth as the new kingdom absolutely so how absolutely Reverend Dr. J. Williams, <laughs> how do we deal with all the stuff in the middle? How how does that 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 starting point of the Beatitudes shape some of those trickier texts for you, or help you help you interpret um, all of the other stuff that feels uh, to so many people so disjointed from that beautiful beginning and that holy destination? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you right. I think you have to like, like keep the destination in mind, uh, right? That 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 we're going somewhere with this, um, as you know, preachers often say in, in the Black Church tradition, is that and you know you might actually get these detours, you might lose your way, you might lose your footing, there might be a roadblock, uh, and we encounter them in that journey as well. Uh, but ultimately, the destination. Uh, that is, you know, for me, uh, that, I, that I place um, in, as a starting point, the destination emerges from the starting point in the Beatitudes is a blessedness. Or um, uh, one might also go to, you know, the Gospel of John, uh, that I, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Um, uh, so regardless to where you, you, you're looking at scripture, you, I'm reading it in, in the uh, in light of a call to life, right? A call to life. Um, and that uh, if you begin at the beginning, in the beginning, right? God created, 
right? That there is that creation uh, is the goal and the beginning, mm. which then, right, if creation is the starting point, then creativity, uh, right, being able to read uh, the text in the story creatively, uh, that might be a pathway or, or an aid. Actually, uh, one theologian, uh, Gordon Kaufman, has a, a, a book that, you know, that plays, that riffs off of in the beginning uh, creation, in the beginning creativity. Mm. Um, so, so, so that is, I think, where uh, if we keep the destination as a call to life, as a call to creation, then um, as interpreters of the text, we might, we must do so creatively. Um, and not in the type of like straitjacket narrowness uh, that, it, that 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 ultimately is about a binary of about rendering some people good and other people bad, some people in and other people out. No, uh, we intersect. Our lives intersect. And right, this again back to the beatitudes, the blessedness of who we are. Ultimately, the goal is to in reading the text is to. Uh, be able to love people into life, love people into freedom. Uh, so then I'm going to wrestle really hard, right? I'm going to struggle really hard even with the texts that have been um, interpreted to do harm, uh, to do uh, death. Uh, how might we redeem them? Uh, how might we reclaim them such that uh, we see it in the overall arc? of the gospel biblical story as one that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation with an orientation towards life, new heaven, in a garden? new earth, back in a garden. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I do think that it is, it is so possible and so holy to do that work. Um, and and so many of of us have been told otherwise that the that the Bible can only be a tool to harm us specifically, um, or people we love or whatever. And uh, and sometimes we we need uh, you know, just going back to the to the atlas, right? There's a, there's a key in the corner. It, like sometimes mm -hmm. we need even an yeah. orientation of how exactly. to read the tool to orient us. Um, and, and I, I feel like you've, you've, you've laid, um, a really beautiful one out. So thank you for that. Um, thank you, Jonah. as we are wrapping up here, got yeah. our final questions. Um, okay. so in this beautiful, holy and complicated collection of books, is yes. there anything that you feel like is just getting too much attention that could just take a seat for a minute? Um, uh, like interesting. I mean, I think definitely like the clobber text um, about sexuality or like gender, like, um, yeah, like just hashtag over it uh, because <laughs> they're like, I mean, they're just so actually relatively so few uh, mm -hmm. and they've just taken up so much air. Really? Um, and, and not only are there like only a handful of them, uh, they're like, they're embedded in whole lists of things. Uh, so yeah, I, I would definitely say uh, let's spend some less time uh, in Leviticus or 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 that portion of Romans or you know or or Corinthians, and let's spend actually more time in in gospel. Uh, let's spend more time in like the first couple uh, chapters of Genesis, uh, looking at life. Uh, and I think uh, I would also want to say. Um, you know, let's look at some revelation too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which requires a whole lot of orientation. But uh, yes. <laughs> has, has so many gifts in it. Uh, well, and I, uh, yeah. So it's interesting with the clobber text. I think that sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, the clobberers are spending too mm -hmm. much energy on the clobber text. But sometimes I wonder if, if we who have been clobbered also end up just, yeah. like you said, letting it take up too much air in the room. Yeah. Um, and then not, not being able to have the freedom to know our Jesus, um, exactly. to, to, to feel the love of, of the story of creation. So you've already given a bit of a list, but, um, but if there yeah. was, you know, anything in particular that you were like, let, you know, this, this piece of the Bible gets overlooked so much mm -hmm. and, and let's, let's give some more space for that to breathe. Um, you know, what comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, in this one, so I, I, every year at Union, we kind of have a theme and a anchor scripture. So I'm, we're wrestling right now with uh, Revelation 22, um, right, which is this reimagining of Genesis and creation. Uh, uh, and, you know, so Revelation is like one of these that like, I mean, it's scary because like it's, you know, Armageddon and Apocalypse and, and, uh, and, and lakes of fire and, you know, six, six, six and all this stuff. That's, uh, that's the one with Kirk Cameron in it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, folks being raptured and, uh, and all this other nonsense. Uh, but like, but like Revelation 22 is this uh, 21 and 22, uh, just this beautiful poem vision um, and the, the anchor text that we're looking at is Revelation 22, verse 2. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I want more people to be struggling, praying on it uh, with me. And it says, right, the trees, sorry, the leaves of the trees of the rivers of life are medicine uh, to heal the nations. Oof. The leaves of the trees of the river of life our medicine for the healing of the nations, uh, which is a taking us back to the garden in a new way, right? Um, and these leaves of the trees, right? The, the medicine, the, it, so it's playing with scripture itself, uh, the yeah. leaves making um, balm medicine, uh, right? There is a balm in Gilead. So we have the resources that we need in order to be healed uh, and the waters of life that refresh us and renew us and replenish a broken spirit. So yeah, that that's one. I want people to get yeah. all of in Revelation 22. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, well, thank you for leaving us with that gift. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jonah. This has been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jonah and the Peacock. We hope you enjoyed it. This show is presented by The Liberation Project and produced by Wesley's Revival.